0: From Doubledoor Studios at Manassas National Battlefield Park, I'm Nikki Bland. And I'm Franny Robin. This is A Different Truth. A Different Truth can be found on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Please like and follow us on those platforms. You can listen on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. If you like what you hear, please give us a rating and a review. That helps us get more views and show up in more searches. You can also check us out at our website, Podcast.com. We will share resources and information on our website and social media platforms, where you can also send questions, comments, and ideas for future podcasts. We really want this to be an interactive engagement with our listeners, so please let us hear from you. Thanks again for listening. Thank you for joining us for this episode of A Different Truth. Today we continue our conversation with history teacher and friend Chris Noe discussing Black History Month, where it came from and what it means. One editorial note, in our last episode we discussed Lewis and Clark and mistakenly referred to Pocahontas. We meant to discuss Sacagawea, an important member of their expedition. We are back with Chris Noe. We had such a great conversation with you last time and realized we barely scratched the surface of your brain. So we are back to talk about more history and see where that takes us. We've decided outlines don't suit us well, but uh, we're interested in wherever the conversation takes us. So we're too free spirited for outlines. Yeah. <laughs> they're too confining. Yeah. So with that, welcome back to our podcast. Um I want to give a little shout out cuz I know you are working on your own podcast. I
1: am. I'm in the process of putting the first couple of episodes the first couple of episodes together mm-hmm. and it's called Get Real American History. And so I'm going to be talking about uh, things from American history and how they relate to today. Mm -hmm. Because I think a lot of times people find history boring because it's sort of this thing that happened. And then we pack it up and we put it on a shelf and we think we're done with it and that it doesn't affect us. Those were peoples from the days of yore. Mm -hmm. And we don't see those echoes that come through. And so, um, you know, for the episode that I just finished was on Benjamin Banneker. And he was a an African-American mathematician, astronomer, engineer. And so uh, we use that as a jumping off point to talk about how we fund our schools in predominantly minority areas and where we invest in our STEM programs and where we don't. Mm-hmm.
2: That is awesome because it's the perfect time for me to put a new plug in for a new series on Netflix with deals that deals... Specifically with that, it's called Miss Virginia. Really? Okay. Yeah, so...
1: Write that down, Ellie. Putting all of these things on my list. (laughs) All of them.
2: (laughs) I'm going to have to... But no, Chris, you do such a really good job in presenting information, historical information. And because I read a quote this week, um, people who are passionate about history aren't the same as historians. So the way you package and present it... Um, it you know stirs people to want to know more, and that's what this podcast is designed to do, as well as this upcoming podcast that we're all super excited about. Thank
1: you. I, I mean, the thing is, history is about people, and sometimes we sterilize it so much that it's like reading stereo equipment directions for young people. Stereos were these things we used to have before <laughs> before digital music, and they were very hard to set up.
0: Right. Yeah, it's it's. I'm excited about it. I, You're kind enough to share episode one with us, and oh my gosh, I've already listened to it uh, more than my own. So <laughs> it's awesome. So we're back, and I think we decided we're going to talk on this uh, recording date of February 28th. We have one day left yeah. in Black History Month this year, mm-hmm. and just our sort of pre-recording conversations really... Kind of led us to that topic, so without further ado, I think you um, kind of have some history of this month, what it's all about, where it came from,
1: and however you want to start with that, we're all ears. Well, I think that part of the question that comes up that's sort of the worst thing that people ask is, well, why is there Black History Month? Why isn't there? I mean, then the question is. Obviously, people ask, why isn't there white history month? And I'm like, there's are all the months. <laughs> so because um, one of the things we were talking about is when we're we're discussing history. Um, one of sort of the metaphors that I like to use is that history is like a motorcycle and there's one person driving the motorcycle. But sometimes the motorcycle has a sidecar and the driver can choose to invite someone into the sidecar. But the sidecar person doesn't get to drive. And so our through line through most of American history, we're telling the male, white story of our country. And occasionally women get to sit there and sometimes African Americans get to sit there, sometimes Asians, Native Americans, but the person driving the motorcycle is always the same. And they're the one in charge of the direction, they get to pick which road, And so sort of changing that narrative and looking at it and not treating other history as though it's, quote, other history, as though it is it is as equal in American history as what we've always been taught. So African American or Black History Month started in 1926. And it was actually it started as Negro History Week and it was started by Carter G. Woodson who was the second African American to ever graduate with a doctorate from Harvard. W.E.B. Du Bois was the first. And he wanted to use this Negro History Week as a springboard. It was not supposed to remain its own separate thing, but rather it was supposed to introduce a topic that would then be integrated into American history and treated as an equal. Um, I have this quote here from him where he says, if a race has no history, if it has no worthwhile tradition, it becomes a negligible factor in the thought of the world. And he wanted to make sure that African American history, which for so long there had been an active goal of erasing that it actually had a place in American history. And he was an educator. He was the dean of the College of Arts and Sciences at Howard University. So between that and Harvard, I mean, he was a really smart guy. No slouch. No. And so then in 1976, uh, Gerald Ford declared the first Black History Month. And he was saying that he hoped that it was an opportunity to honor the too often neglected accomplishments of black Americans. He... um, he then picked a theme for that month, and ever since then, every president has declared February Black History Month, and chosen a theme, and you know set the programs of the White House based on that theme. Um, unfortunately, um, Woodson's goal of just integrating African American history did not come to fruition. He, we, we said, oh, we're gonna, we'll just stay with February. And he had chosen February because it was Abraham Lincoln's birthday and Frederick Douglass' birthday month. Um, but we've sort of allowed it to become encapsulated. And sort of that's, oh, well, then we're going to talk about, you know, you, you can walk through the school supply aisle of um, any major store and you can pick up your paper cutouts of Martin Luther King Jr. and Harriet Tubman and, you know, sort of these key figures that – you know because that's all you can fit in a month. Mm-hmm. Okay. And this idea that we've been erasing history and then sort of writing a different version of it and then fitting it where we want. I it it has a lot of long-term results that also get erased.
2: Yeah, and that's really important when you know some one of the things that I'm thinking about as you know you're just Uh, going over the history with us, it's like the statues that became a huge topic in the last year and a half, specifically um, in their removal. And so when you erase the history of a people group, then, you know, like your quote says, then, uh, can you repeat it again, Chris? I'm so sorry.
1: Sure. Hold on, let me.
2: But it just goes back to say, like, which history do we have that is, Constantly highlighted, especially when that history is being, we're reminded of that history by figures, statues. Mm -hmm. So even just you know with last week the unveiling of Thurgood Marshall, I think it's Thurgood Marshall and Harriet Tubman statues in Maryland. Now we now are having historical figures that are put in place, and what will happen because of that? It'll stir the conversation for the this new and current generation to say, well, who are these people? But uh, if you could, if you don't mind repeating this question, oh no, absolutely.
1: If a race has no history, if it has no worthwhile tradition, it becomes a negligible factor in the thought of the world.
2: Exactly. So even now, as you were talking, right, and you 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 gave the example of the car, the the motorcycle with mm-hmm. the sidecar, and you, you know you ask people to uh, re- recite or repeat or recall the history, you know, the most notable historical figures in American history. More than likely, you'll get the George Washingtons, Abraham Lincoln, Thomas Jeffersons. But you won't—a black person's image or what a black person has done won't immediately come to the surface because there's nothing that really points you to their history. So just the fact that, you know, that quote is evidence on how if you erase an individual's history, then there's no evidence of their existence— you know, it's a, a beautiful factor or support as to why why do we even need Black History Month? Because one of the things I was going to ask you is, well, if you say um, one group, you know, usually male, white get to be to lead. I was actually going to ask you to expound on that just a little, because a lot of times when we're having the conversation around race and we're saying, well, you usually don't get, you know, you don't have to celebrate a white history month because it's always celebrated. People sometimes push back and like, but what about my history celebrated? So this is a great opportunity to kind of highlight. Why is there a need for black history month? Well, part of it is
1: because when, um, when Africans were brought over during the middle passage, there was an active and purposeful effort to erase any connection that they had to their homeland. Um, they weren't allowed to worship the way they had worshipped. They weren't allowed to speak the language. They were stripped of their name. Their families were separated. They were branded. They, they tried to strip away as much of the humanity as possible. And the easiest way to do that was to strip people of their culture. So when we talk about things like you know, well, why don't we have an Irish History Month? Well, we have St. Patrick's Day, and oh, hey, by the way, you know you're from Ireland, <laughs> which is a um, is a big difference. We don't really talk about European Americans. We're not, we're not separated out by that wide of a description because we know which country we came from. I know that my great-grandparents came here. My mother's side of the family came from Lithuania. My father's side of the family came from Norway. Um, my husband can trace his family back to where they came from. Um, African-Americans can't really do that. Uh, I think that that's part of why the ancestry.com and the 23andMe is becoming so popular because folks there, they want to know sort of what is my family history. And so by having a black history month, we're able to sort of give some historical reparations to people who we have purposefully denied their own story throughout history.
0: And I think getting back to something we talked about last episode as well, we, you know, white Americans or, you know, probably multiple nationalities of white people, we just refer to Africa. You know, we don't even distinguish today very well, very often. Um, And when you look at just... I saw an interesting sort of infographic this week about the size of the continent of Africa and it's how gigantic. the you know the normal pictures of you know maps of the world that you see are skewed because it's it's a sphere. So when you lay it flat, everything gets distorted, what have you? And really how much bigger it is. And it's just interesting that I don't know that that necessarily has a lot no, to it do has, but it's it was just sort of an amazing visual to me and and a reminder that it's it's this big mm-hmm. complex diverse place in and of itself but we have sort of just
1: lumped it into this single category of Africa and well l- yeah. when you look at the maps and who even I mean in the center of the map I mean where is our uh Greenwich Mean Time it's in, it goes through Europe When I'm, you know, Einstein said there is no preferred plane of reference. And yet if you look at a map, we put Europe and America on top and we put South America and Africa on the bottom. Mm -hmm. And so there is a, you know, subconscious message that we're sending people. So we have these maps hanging up in every classroom that places the white countries on top. And then skews the design of the map to make those countries appear larger than they are. I mean, even if if we talk about how we talk about other places in the world, we talk about the Middle East, the middle of what? It's the middle between the East and Europe. Mm-hmm. And so we we've we've managed to create this history and just in the language that we use to talk about places. We've placed one race in the center of the conversation. Mm-hmm. And right. so and it everything is, else is oriented to every, that. Exactly.
0: So I'm going to ask you to pull the thread a little bit on what you just said about the white countries being on top. and Because mm-hmm. somebody's going to comment, right, and say, well, that's just the way the, the world looks. So tell me what you mean by that. And, I mean, the globe is the globe, right? The globe
1: is the globe. But... Um, you know, there was a time when we thought that the earth was the center of the universe Mm -hmm. and that the sun revolved around us. Mm -hmm. So um, we look at it as flat with, you know, the sun in the middle and then we're all revolving around. But who's to say that we're revolving around horizontally or revolving around vertically that where you are when we talk spatially, now I'm not a science person, but um, <laughs> but the um, your relative position is relative to other things. You only know where you are in relationship to other things. So when you look at a train going by, and the person on the train does not. feel feel themselves moving. You feel the movement of the train, but you don't feel yourself hurling through space. The person standing beside the train sees the person going by. You notice it also with uh, sound waves, how ambulances sound one way coming towards you in a slightly different way. It's because as they're coming forward, the, um, the sound waves are banging into each other as they're getting to you. And then as they're going away, they're lengthening between each sound wave as it's going away. So where you are is determined by where other things are around you. So when we say that the map, where we say north is the top and south is the bottom, was because we've decided that. I mean, you could just as easily have flipped the world upside down because we we don't have a preferred plane of reference. We don't have a, well, it has to be this way because we know what's under the earth. There's nothing under us and there's nothing above us. It's just, it's empty space. So we made a decision. I mean, we do have the equator. We do rotate around the equator, but as far as what's on top and what's on the bottom and who gets summer in the middle of the year versus who gets summer... You know, in January and December, I have some friends who live in Australia and it's always crazy when I'm looking on Facebook and we're freezing here and they're like, oh, summer's so awesome. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And, you know, you, you, you start to think about what you know becomes the only reality versus um, taking into consideration that for somebody else, Christmas means shorts and flip flops. But here we're all singing about white Christmas. Mm -hmm. And so that's what I mean as far as putting the white countries, you know, putting, you know, the European countries on top because we've decided to do it that way instead of saying, well, the earth was upside down and we, because you don't really go up. It's, you know, when you teach kids about maps and they're like, North is up. And they're like, well, no, North is North and South is South. So. But we it's become so accepted that we don't question, why does our map look the way it looks? It's like, well, because that's the way it is. Well, it's that way because we decided it's that way. Right. Okay. So
0: now that my head has imploded, um, Black History Month. <laughs> yeah. So um, go ahead, Franny.
2: Well, I was actually going to um, talk about identity after you shared, you know, the history of having and the, ne- the necessity for having Black History Month and the theme <clears throat> that went along with it. I actually Googled it, Googled it real quick. Okay. So <laughs> there was a theme. Um, but I actually saw throughout this month, maybe for the first time in um, with the intent, especially on social media, just the constant postings about the history of uh, and, and um, accomplishments of black people so i just wanted to actually just go back and just touch again on what you've said and the need for one having black history month a month specifically dedicated to blacks because you know you've done it we've done a great job just highlighting why it's necessary and important to have but how we arrived at some of the um the accomplishments, but just um, the need for having relevance and um, to be empowered with the names and the naming of the the term that black people choose to be identified or acknowledged by. So what can you share with us about the different terms that um, we've come to use to identify black people in America?
1: Well, there's, there's
2: actually an entire history
1: over which words and when, people started using different words and um that you know how we moved from black to negro to african-american it was um and in some instances it it was to regain part of that history and to say um i know that when they when uh folks moved from uh black or uh, actually what they did was they moved from African to Negro because they were saying, we're not African. We, we've lived here for generations. Mm -hmm. And so I think that it was Du Bois who said, who was advocating for the use of the word Negro to say, you know, that we, we are our own community. We are our own culture. And, and then they, they moved on to colored people and then, um, to African American and, but with with each of these iterations, it was redefining the community, um, and it was generational and it was informed and it wasn't, you know, people say, oh, well, it's the PC police, it's this, it's that, and it's it really isn't because a lot of these changes in terminology are coming from the community asking, this is how we would like to be, this is how we would like to be referred to, and when we say, Well, no, I'm not gonna do that. I'm just gonna, you know, this is the word I've always used. I'm I'm gonna keep using it well then we go back to that, okay, well you're you're erasing your identity, you're forcing this community to fit themselves into your narrative mm-hmm. instead of welcoming their own narrative into the story.
0: Right. Allowing them to define for themselves. Yeah. Yeah. What their identity is. Absolutely. Right? Which is really interesting when you think about it because in so many other spheres other than race that's what we're all about these days right yeah and it's
1: it's like this year virginia's um general assembly just passed a law uh, making it illegal to basically dictate what natural hairstyles people are going to have and there was the uh the young man who He wasn't allowed to walk at his graduation if he had dreadlocks. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we've had, you know, Franny's talked about the issues that she had trying to get her uniform to fit wearing her natural hair. Yeah. And the
0: the wrestler who Yeah, you know, the referee Johnson cut his hair Mm -hmm. right there on the wrestling floor.
1: And that is as important a link to history. Because it also sends the message that the way that you were born isn't even right. That the way your hair grows out of your head and the styles that work for you, because they make the white people basically uncomfortable, that then you have to change instead of us. And I think that that's part of where this conflict comes from is instead of seeing it as an addition People have a tendency, people who are in positions of power, and this is you know, people don't like the term privilege, but this is really where it comes from, is, is thinking that any change means that you are losing something.
2: Right.
1: instead of saying that we're just adding something else. They, uh, that and I, I think that that's where part of this this tension comes between different races is one group is saying we would like this. And then the other group is saying, but that means that must mean that you're going to take something in order for you to
0: have that. I need to give something. Mm -hmm. And that's not the case. Like
1: I do not have to start wearing dreadlocks for somebody else (laughs) to be allowed to wear them. And recognizing that and saying, you know,
2: please wear your hair however you would like to wear it. And it's all a need for um, being empowered in who you are, you know. Um, And I know I've shared a little bit about when I moved to the United States from the Caribbean. It's like instantly my heritage and the culture that I grew up celebrating no longer existed here. The only option for me at the time was African-American. But I do believe Blacks, African American, want to become empowered in their own existence. So the desire for them to choose the name, and there's also an empowerment that goes along with it too. Because for like you, you know, you talked about earlier upon arriving, they, it's hard. Not even it's just hard to trace your ancestry because one, um, the owners changed your names. Mm -hmm. Even the names that you know blacks were given at birth by their parents. Even their own given names, not necessarily the last name, their given name Sarah, is changed to a name that the owner feel it's best mm-hmm. to give, you know, the individual, and then you take on the owner's last name. So you, and if you're sold multiple times, that slave takes on the owner's name multiple times. Mm-hmm. So to trace your history, it's almost, you know, it's incredibly difficult. So it's a need to be empowered. By owning and choosing the name that best represents a community of people, I do know that going from, like you said earlier, colored, Negro, Black, African American, there are discussions to be had about all of those things. But at the end of the day, it's a need for people to identify and to become empowered by the name they choose to go by. And so we today we're finding a lot of discussions around that because a lot of times when you bring up, like, well, you know, you could just refer to me as Black. And in conversations that I've had, people are like, well, I don't know what to say. I'm Mm -hmm. very uncomfortable. So maybe we could talk about that just a little bit, especially when we're having conversation because we're all about bridging the gap and helping people understand the differences in the culture and why there's a need to have these types of conversation. Like, you know, what have you experienced in terms of um, when you have these conversations between white, white or black individuals? What? The question that usually comes up in terms of, well, I'm not very comfortable calling a group of people by either black, African American, and we could talk about. Well, I actually a little bit too. had a kind of
1: funny story about that, like how sensitive people become. Yeah, um, I knew a woman who was training someone on a computer program, and when the computer program was turned off, the screen went black, and so she was training. And so she would tell them, "The screen goes black, and then you know that the program is off." And then she was training an African-American woman and she was like, I can't say the word black. I can't even say the word black to like say that the screen went black because I'm so afraid I'm going to offend her. And so sort of this, like this, uh, this hyper vigilance of, you know, well then I just won't say anything. And so, and then at the end it's just off. And it was like, this is, uh, we've like entered somewhere, you know, some other realm. I mean, I, I will use both terms and if someone says, well, I prefer this, then okay, great. Yeah. Then that's, because I've met folks who are like, I, I prefer African American or I prefer black and sometimes it's a generational thing. Yeah. And so I think, you know, it's
2: just, you know, be open to being corrected. Yeah. Because when, Or to make yeah. the other
1: person more comfortable. Yeah.
2: Uh, when if, if anyone could recall like Martin Luther Dr. Martin Luther King's speech he always referred to the negro. Mm-hmm. Well, in this day and age um blacks really don't want to be referred to as the negro. But again, like you know, you've already expressed and we've already uh, you know discussed it's a, a need to be empowered. Um I don't know, you know, what it's like for a lot of um the the you know, the journey that um a lot of African Americans have been on in empowering themselves through their name. But I can tell you, when I was in college, Af- being identified as African-American, you know, Caribbean students, that was a hard thing. It was a super hard thing because um, there was a disconnect. And so, um, I and I also think that's why it's also going to evolve even more as we move into the future in terms of identity because, Black people, I'm believing we're gonna be more inclined to be, just be identified as black people because it's okay. Uh, since we come, we just you know we're talking about Africa. The continent is huge and it's made up of all these independent countries, and they're not the same people. No, and we we tend to think of
1: um, the way you know even just looking at the way people look. Um, a woman in our church has two adopted children from Uganda. And my children trace their lineage back to Uganda, even though they were born in this country. And I look at her two little kids and I can see my kids. We have a tendency to sort of think that, you know, not to go into the trope of all black people look the same, but that, you know, we, we talk about Europeans as, oh, well, you look Italian or you look Irish and when you really start getting into studying these different areas of the continent, you realize that when I see a picture of someone from Ethiopia, I can say, "Oh, that person looks Ethiopian." They have, right. you know, they have a longer face, and and people from Uganda have a certain coloring, and they have very round face. And it's you you start to notice these things. Whereas, in the United States, we just sort of we put this one blanket of you know yeah. just well, black I think people, I and mean, that to you lose as that well, right? Yeah.
0: Um, where we don't bother trying to distinguish if they're Chinese or Vietnamese or Japanese. And um, in fact, I'll just go ahead and bring up the coronavirus because why not? (laughs) Um, I was getting my nails done. And, you know, I go to the same place. Mary's doing my nails, love her. And she's telling me this story. This was a couple of weeks ago. So it really had just kind of happened. And that... The weekend prior, she was out with her husband and kids and the waiter walked up to the table and like literally was startled and was like, where are you from? And okay, A, she's Vietnamese, but also even if she was Chinese, like, no, (laughs) you know, and, you know, he didn't he certainly obviously couldn't distinguish and didn't try. But I think that's
1: typical of many people,
0: certainly not all.
1: And th- sort of the the racial tension um, between Asians and the white community goes back decades and decades. I mean, you know, back to when we're building the Transcontinental Railroad, and we're like, they're small, put them in the baskets with the dynamite so that they can blow the holes in the mountain. I mean, you know, because they were seen as, you know, um, disposable. And then, yeah. you know, really our first immigration policy was the Chinese Exclusion Act. Mm. And that's who we're trying to kick out of the country, yeah. And so, uh, it, but that's again that sort of sidecar history that, like, we're gonna yeah. tack yeah. that this whole on concept after this.
0: of like different groups, um, and how we refer to them. Uh, we were talking earlier about how it up until 1815, Americans the term mm-hmm. Americans meant Indian Americans, um, which is. I know we say Native Americans now, but literally um, that was the phrase. (laughs) Indian Americans. It wasn't until 1815 that it started meaning meaning European Americans. And, you know, just who knew that? Well, part of it is the the United
1: States actually wasn't referred to as the United States as though it were one country until after the Civil War. Right. Before that, it was a United States because each state... The the state was, I don't want to get into the, there's this mythology that people were much more dedicated to their state than to the country. And we get into that, that feeds into the lost cause mythology where we're saying, oh, well, the whole reason that Robert E. Lee fought for Virginia was because he couldn't go against his state. Well, there are a number of union generals who are from the South. Mm -hmm. Um, The vice president for all of his many, many flaws, Andrew Johnson, was from the South. Um, there were lots of people who said, I'm putting the Union above the South. But the idea of being the United States, that we are one country instead of a grouping of states, didn't come about until after the 1860s. Right. Yeah,
0: I'd heard the phrase as well, like these United States, mm-hmm. as opposed to the mm-hmm. single body. Mm-hmm. Um Okay, so put a pin in the whole Robert E. Lee story, because legit, I thought that was true, and he's an ancestor of mine. So I, well, need, I mean, I he to, did
1: <laughs> he did pick America, but Winfield Scott was also from the South, and he was the head of the Union Army. Mm-hmm. So this sort of forgiveness—well, you have to understand—they were from the South, but there were there were lots of people who were from the South who fought for the Union. Mm-hmm. But we use this as this blanket, this, this, this lovely eraser on the whiteboard of history where we can go, we're just not going to talk about that part. So totally agree
0: and understand that there were people from the South who fought for the North. Right. Did Robert E. Lee, the man, not the myth, the legend, make such a statement when he was requested to lead the Union Army? That he could not turn his back on his fellow Virginians, or
1: I mean, yeah, that was—I mean—that was part of what he said. Yeah, but, um, you know, it it, it ignores the fact that the, it makes it sound as though there was no other option, right? Mm-hmm. But he did have another option. Okay, and also, bit of a I mean, rabbit trail. Sorry, no, <laughs> that that's that I'm all just right, like, but like Robert, Robert E. Lee is a—he's a complicated man, but we seem to like this. The thing that always, it it just sticks in my craw so much when it was, well, they didn't know better. You have to judge it by the history. Okay. Robert E. Lee's family definitely knew better Mm -hmm. because at the time it was illegal to teach um, black people to read and write. And his wife and daughter were running an illegal school teaching black people to read and write. So it's not like they didn't have sympathies for Mm -hmm. what was going on. And it's... I I totally agree with that
0: being a very lame excuse that gets thrown out all the time that, well, that's just the way it was, you know, for every period in time where you decry, you know, the horrible acts of human beings, somebody in that time was going break, break. This is really terrible. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, I I, I haven't come across one yet where there's not... um, that dichotomy happening. Um, and, you know, so I just said I'm related to Robert E. Lee. Well, I'm also related to circuit-riding abolitionist preachers. So, yay. I'll claim that. Thank you. Um,
1: <laughs> and, but and, the North and doesn't the fact- get a free pass either because right. when right. we have, I mean, the North was, they were as reliant on slave labor they were. as the South because they had the factories. right? And so if the slaves weren't, growing the cotton in the South and sending it to the mills in the North, then the Northern economy also would suffer. And so they were complicit in their silence leading up to that.
0: And that, that brings up another really just sort of global point to this work, which is we very much want things to be binary, good, bad, right, wrong, black, white, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And, Almost nothing is. It's everything is much more complex than we feel like dealing with most of the time. So, yeah, to take somebody and paint their character by one quote that they made is a dangerous thing to do. And it's Mm -hmm. sort of it doesn't really dignify the history. And that's how you end up with this really linear story of American history that fails to take in all the complexities of
2: everybody who's contributing to I mean, getting us to this point. we can make a comparison of all of, you know, the, the, in every decade or in every event throughout history where there were individuals who could have stepped up or the very few individuals who did step up and the impact that they had on cultures, the impact that they had on history, because we get to, um, some of them are more prominent and than others, we get to actually go back and see or research and find the evidence of it but i mean we could compare that today right now there are a lot of horrible things happening and there are good people good people who don't speak up There are good people who aren't willing to put themselves out there so what is it that these good people have to lose you know in terms of speaking up for uh a cause i'm very you know i I lead with my faith in, in a lot of in my life. And so when I, I see things that good people are not joining in on, leading, you know, taking the lead on some of those efforts, then it could kind of goes back to those periods in time where we're looking at the onesies or the twosies who stood up and how they've impacted. And that, that should be inspiring for us now, but it still doesn't happen today. Well, I think one of the
1: things is that no one is the villain of their own story. Right. No one thinks that they're the bad guy. And so we as humans, our psyche has an amazing ability to justify and to do the mental gymnastics necessary to still make us the hero. And that's the thing about American history is that we love a hero story. And we love to say, and then this person did this great thing. And then and again, talking about that addition versus subtraction, saying that this person who did this great thing also had these faults or these things that we didn't think were so great, is it doesn't diminish the great thing that they did. Um, I mean, sometimes it does. Sometimes we're like, yeah, you yeah. know. But, but if we look at people as a balance of all of their things, not just, I mean, in the... Um, and we went and saw the movie Just Mercy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um where he says the uh no one is the worst thing they've ever done. Right. They're not just that. Yeah. But also no one is just the best thing they ever did right. either. That's true too. And we we like to make these two dimensional, I mean to Nikki's point, talking about You know, we we like everything to be binary and we like everything to be consumable and we like everything to have a nice, neat button on the end.
2: Well, it's kind of difficult for me, especially when I'm looking back, of course, hindsight. Right. But even if I wasn't looking back, when I look back at the history of slavery in America or even when, you know, slaves were in the custody of their owners, it's one thing that the brutality existed within that owner-slave relationship, but you had the, a country, you know, making laws, amending its founding document to justify it. And it's a matter of, you know, if they're, it's, you know, voting to amend, voting to institute. If it's not one individual needing to be a standout activist, you know, there, 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 there are a couple people who could have stepped in. But again, when you... You're, when I look at the history of slavery and when I look at a people seeking to be their own, seeking freedom from their masters, seeking permission to leave, seeking um, to escape by running away. And then you have a nation that's working against you and working against your identity. It really doesn't leave room a lot of times to identify with the person or to even empathize with their inability to make a decision um to to help a you know a group of people that's brutally enslaved it's just not a matter of being an indentured servant working your 7 to 10 year commitment it's literally it's it was a system of brutality that wasn't so when i think about it you know even now so i when i t- when i think about the past and i think about where we are in the present and how people groups choose to stay silent on things that going to cost you your life it's probably going to cost you a couple of friends who are probably just your social media friends the way, you know? <laughs> right. yet there's not a willingness to stand up it makes it really hard a lot of times for me to empathize with t- those two groups mm.
1: well I think there's an example that comes to mind of people standing up and what happens sometimes when people did stand up was the um, caning of Charles Sumner yes And when Charles Sumner stood up and spoke out against slavery on the uh, Senate floor in 1856, and then Preston Brooks caned him so much so that he, I mean, he was incapacitated for years afterwards. And he was Preston Banks, not Preston Banks, he is the, uh, he is on the city council in a neighboring jurisdiction um preston brooks (laughs) um people were actually sending him canes Mm -hmm. and they were celebrating what he did and he went on tour and i mean he broke his cane against charles sumner when he was beating him this was not just like you know rap 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 Mm -hmm. he was literally trying to kill him Wow. And, cause, and this was the day after. It wasn't like it was this moment of passion. He was sitting there at his desk. And uh, Preston Brooks came up and started wailing on him. And so sometime, you know, there there was a risk for people standing up. And the fact that there were a lot of people. And, and I think one of the things that gets lost in history is that there were so many women who stood up. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm and it sort of goes to that sidecar history. Yeah. You know, why don't we give their voices equal time that you know that, that, that there was a group of people but they didn't have the vote. They were marginalized as well, mm-hmm. which sort of built built a sympathy to a certain extent. Right. Um but that that this whole chorus of voices that uh, that were silenced
0: yeah, I'm. One of the things you said too reminded me of um, one of the concepts that's discussed in in Lies My Teacher Told Me, um, which I recently listened to, and I know it's been around for a while. Um, I'm a little slow catching up on my reading, but um, this this concept of heroification, where we practically deify right our American heroes and fail to, you know, really give a full account of who they were and the things they struggled with even. And, you know, the mistakes that they made, because what does that do? It like shakes our faith somehow, Um, which really gets back to this, this sidecar history you, you know, keep bringing up, which I just love that image because, you know, to bring in these people who were resisting or speaking out, you know, it it fleshes out the whole story, but it casts those heroes in a different light, and, and we just can't have that.
1: Well, sometimes the heroes failed also. Teddy Roosevelt um, invited Booker T. Washington to dinner at the White House, and it was an extremely progressive move on his part, and he received such harsh backlash from it that he never invited him back. Mm-hmm, right. That this, this notion that history has this starting point and that it goes, it's just upward and onward. Right. You know, that we're we're like the Buzz light year of history to infinity and beyond. It's, right. It's, it's always a up. forward positive progression. And, and that's, we backslide. Yeah. And learning how we deal with some of those backslides and how we deal with different voices and how we deal with uh, different approaches um in my american history class we're um talking about the difference between the approaches of Booker T Washington and W.E.B. Du Bois mm. and how they came to those different viewpoints because they both came to them very honestly and it's easy to look back at history and say you know well Du Bois was correct and you know Washington was acquiescing but if you look at the if you look at the upbringing of booker t washington and what he had to overcome to get to where he was you can see how that shapes his view versus um how w.e.b du bois comes to his views he he grows up in northern cities he lives in a much more integrated society um he had room to sort of have the views that he had that um booker t washington didn't feel like he had those views and um and And so, looking that there are throughout history, there have been different voices speaking up in different ways, and that there there's when we try to reduce it to the binary like you did, it doesn't leave a lot of room for some of those other voices right. to say, "Hey, there were different ways to go through this right
2: Well, at the end of the day, a lot of the events of in history, particularly along um uh, in terms of identity for African Americans um, through the enslavement, it has just been brutal and it still has been a battle. You know, you talked up a little bit about um, part of the battle in terms of regaining identity. It's through the wearing of hair. It's through regaining voting rights after you've served your time because that was deliberately taken away. Mm-hmm. It's through choosing your name and it's choosing what you want to be identified as, and choosing your, you know, um, the way you want to live, because all those things were taken away, you know, they were intentionally taken away, so at the end of the day, the battle continues, the struggle continues for people who want to reclaim, you know, who they are as a people group, they're, you know, and then coming to a place of being identified as African Americans, or blacks, you know, it's a, it's an opportunity, to be accounted accounted for. Actually, the theme for I just I looked up earlier for um, this Black History Month is African Americans and the vote. And it's an opportunity to be counted. It's an opportunity to be represented. And it's an opportunity to be counted. You know, even against measures that are taken to have people wiped wiped off the you know the voting registries or to to have people who have already served their time regain that vote too be counted um so whether individuals didn't stand up then the battle continues to continue to fight for an identity now absolutely and, especially being a census year yeah and being
1: counted in just the history of how we count people mm. in this country is yeah and i mean of, that's that, that's codified it was codified in our constitution yeah yes how we counted people mm. and so making sure that everyone you know Answers the census, and that we have an accurate count, yeah. you know, just to overcome that history and having the folks who, you know, go out into those communities.
2: One of the things I actually want to share before we close is um, our family went to the African-American Museum a couple of weeks ago and we literally read. It's very overwhelming, by the way. We've gone before, but we started at the top. That's a more recent history of African-Americans accomplishments. Um, You know, there's history there, but it's um, you're able to see more. Um, information on recent accomplishments. Whereas if you start in the gallery in the basement, it's super overwhelming. Mm-hmm. And it's it starts literally from, Portu- like, it documents the Portugal, the independence of Africans, the royalty, the trading, uh, the commitments to their freedom, freedom and freedom, their free movements and, and rulership, to, you know, I'm looking at this note uh, where it says, in uh, 1705, I'm sorry in 17 yeah in 1705 the law states all negro mulatto and indian slaves are considered real estate so to go from being considered a property um a living breathing property um, and to now come to a place where, uh, you know, uh, we've w- we walk through that. We walk through where Virginia and all these other states or colonies intentionally made laws to take away freedoms that were naturally given. So they made laws for that. But what I wanted, I wanted to say that we walk through the history of all that, and then we ended at a more current history. So we went to where they were stripped of their humanity, and we ended at President Barack Obama being elected to the presidency. And my daughter just started crying, and it was not it had nothing to do with uh, President Obama's policies. It had nothing to do with, you know, um, things that she agreed on. What she expressed is to see that a people— who endured the stripping of humanity, their humanity, their dignity, their peoplehood to be reduced to property that they were only counted for as dollars and investment and earnings uh, to arrive where one of those people actually made it to the highest office. It was so overwhelming. She just started crying. It was just started crying. And a lot of times, you know, it's a matter of just identifying with blackness. I, I it, It's not if you agree with President Barack's policies. It's not, it, it, you know, a lot of people will choose and tell you he was a man of character because they're looking at the representation that he was as a black person and the history of the people, of what they've endured. So at the end of the day, there's still this battle not only to fight, to obtain positions but i did make it make a post today of all the firsts it was just this week alone Mm -hmm. (laughs) this week alone so and within black history month and so there's there's still this visible fight of what it is to um regain all that was lost Uh, and it's, it's like it's carried in the dna of of people because we the black people are aware of the they're aware of the fight they're aware of the struggle they're aware of the need to be represented and 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 that's what black history month does for a lot of people in the black community
1: it reminds me of a conversation that my kids and I had when we did we did an entire school year I actually the way i shape my curriculum is we do black history first and then we do the rest of <laughs> then mm-hmm. we you know Uh, weave the rest of the stories into that because I didn't want them to see their own history as secondary. But while we were doing this, my son, who was probably in the ninth grade at the time, said, I feel like if some of my friends knew this, they would feel better about themselves. That giving, having that history, knowing the story of his own community and being able to see it really had an effect on him because, it, to that point that you were just saying about people feeling like their own story has been stripped away, we're not, we haven't started really taking the steps to give that back to people. Yeah. And so we, you know, we try to do it with Black History Month, but even like you were saying about names when we talk about you know oh well why do black people give their kids such weird names okay well it's it's sort of like why is the white country why are the white countries on top yeah because we have a preferred plane of reference we're saying well tiffany is a regular name it's normal well, what what is a tiffany mm-hmm. can we really point to a tiffany no a tiffany is just it's a made up word yeah. that we now ascribe <laughs> to a person um and so um you know saying well you know, one name is not better than another name, and sort of things like that, where we allow people to have their own history, and and it's very interesting to me. We went to a um, went to a museum in the north, um, and they had a display about African American history, and it was very different than <laughs> going to museums in the south. Well, one it was of, just a very different narrative.
0: Right. One of the things. You said, even at the beginning of this episode, about the history of Black History Month and, you know, where it started as a way to tell the whole story. And 50 years later, it was to celebrate and give uh, recognition to Black achievement. And I'll tell you, when you said that, that kind of made me mad. Like, not that I don't think. There should be recognition, but like the fact that that's needed and like what we're actually really trying to get to here with this podcast is the first intention of establishing Black History Month in the first place, which is to tell the whole story, to not leave the parts out. But at the same time, thinking about what you two have just been talking about and the representation and having people that black children can look up to and say, he looks like me, you know, and Tyler's experience at the, at the African-American history museum. And that's just something that I think is so important. So while, you know, I posted something earlier this month, um, saying, you know, I would love to see the day where there's not a need for a black history month. I would love to see a day where there's no more firsts that are left to be accomplished because it's it's been done we're bit you know we're inclusive um and telling the whole story i think we're well, so, so c- clearly not there yet but i can i i guess i have a greater appreciation instead of just railing you know emotionally against the need for a black history month and celebrating firsts, appreciating it and being
1: glad that they're there are they are being accomplished yeah but if i can build on that just a to- Um, one other step it's not just about black children being able to see someone who's saying that looks like me and identifying with that it is also about white children Mm -hmm. seeing someone who said oh look someone who doesn't look like me right who did something great so that when i see people who don't look like me in the world today i i don't see that racial hierarchy that has been subliminally uh you know, inserted into our education. So when I did black history uh, with my two African-American children first, I also did it first with my two Caucasian children. Because it's, it's not just, it is American history and for them to see as much value in every person that they see is just as important as my black children seeing people who look like them. Yeah, because really it, it, point. it breaks down that 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 incessant superiority that comes through so many other images, media, books, textbooks that the kids are getting to say, oh, well, no, that's it's, it's not just it's not just the presidents on Mount Rushmore where we have literally carved them into the earth um there are these other stories that are equally as important so the people i meet in the world are also equally as important
0: and i I would like to think that getting that information out there people would come to that realization on their own (laughs) i don't necessarily think that always happens so i think that's why it's so important um for us to talk about these things, you know, for yeah. you to tell your your real American history. Yeah. Um, you know, for us to have these conversations. Yeah. When we started looking into what it would take to start a podcast, um, one of the things we did is we just started listening to everybody else's podcast. And yeah. my first reaction was like, Oh, somebody's already doing that. And then I thought, good. The more the merrier. Yeah. Because not enough people are talking about these things and getting the information out there and really challenging people with their assumptions and their preconceived notions to, to start to realize where we have, you know, sort of a warped perspective um, of each
2: other. Agreed, because, I mean, just this, a couple weeks ago, the Oscars, an animated short won an Oscar for black hair, and it's kind of like a first. And just to see all these authors out there that are putting out books that, you know, uh, from a a variety of representation for black kids to see themselves, and you're absolutely right. You know, the history of Toy buying and doll buying has been children choosing a white Barbie and now even, you know, now there are options for them and to have, you know, a a white child go and pick up a black doll is the, the goal is to get to a place where so much of who we are is represented in the marketplace Um, that it empowers you know my son said to me the other day we had gone to visit a church and um, he was like mommy I, I can't go here he said representation matters to me And so we've just been having these conversations where he said, I have to have a need to see myself represented before I could contribute and give so much of who I am to that space. Mm -hmm. And it's really important, you know, for for us to understand and have this conversation, because, you know, like you said, a lot of people are not automatically going to think that this image of this black person is beautiful because they've not been conditioned to explore beauty of um, black people of varying degrees, like black hair could be worn any which way, you know, big, spirally, curly, loose, down, you know, just like how everyone come to expect to see a white person wear their hair and appreciate that this is just how this individual is choosing to wear their hair or choosing the dress or choosing to express themselves. Maybe now people from Africa, not that they don't, could now, you know, I know there's, there's a season that we've been in where African print in of, you know, um, dresses and skirts, that's been very popular as, you know, faddish, but that's a cultural attire for the people from Africa, whichever country they're from. That's their pride and and their representation for their country. But now it's kind of like a fashion statement here. So just to get to a place where we could actually express and explain these things and how they matter to people who use them as part of the identity to regain their culture and to regain their sense of self and regain... Um, you know, their presence within society. It's really, really important. And I'm just happy that we've had a chance to have this conversation. There's so much more that we could touch on, but we've just like scratched the surface. We made one more scratch. (laughs) Again, one more scratch. (laughs) And it's just, you know, raising the ash on your skin. And we could talk about ash another day, but... (laughs) But really, it is just always a pleasure to have you and the wealth of knowledge that you bring to these discussions, Chris. I don't think you will not not be a regular <laughs> Yeah, podcast. yeah. My children are just glad that I have someone else to talk to. About. <laughs> <laughs> but there's just so much information that's out there to glean. And a lot of times I find when I'm having these conversations – People don't necessarily know how to process it in a form of like a timeline. So being able to, you know, give information and periods and how uh, it relates to your life now and, you know, just to learn from it and start a starting point to say, okay, I want to be a part of this. I want to engage. I want to know. Now I have a starting point that I could go look at information on this particular topic. That's what you're doing, and that's what this podcast is designed to do. It's designed to invite people in to join the conversation, anyone.
0: Right.
1: Thank you so much for coming.
2: Oh, As Franny so cool. said, we'll have you back.
0: Of course. And,
1: <laughs> but speaking of inviting people to the conversation, do you guys have social media where people could continue the conversation? Why, funny, you should say that. <laughs> okay.
0: Yes. You can tell we're like total rookies. Um, So if you enjoy what you're hearing... On our podcast, A Different Truth, we are on Facebook and Instagram. Um, I think we're going to try to be on Twitter, as long as my 17-year-old daughter can get us set up. And uh, you can listen to the podcast on several platforms. We've posted all of those on, on Facebook. And, and we're launching a website as well. So, yes. so when we're
1: looking you up on social
2: media. So we're actually
0: a-, a Different Truth podcast.
2: There you go. Okay. So, yeah. So, and we are that name on all social media platforms. So, on Facebook, we are a different truth platform. I mean, a different truth podcast. And we are that name on Instagram, a different truth podcast. No spaces. No spaces. Actually,
0: on Instagram, there's no A. Oh, that's right. I didn't like that. So, we are different truth podcast on Instagram. We are a different truth podcast on Facebook. Um, our website, a different truth podcast.com. Yes. Um, we do hashtag a different truth podcast. So please like, share, um, follow us. We would love for you to rate us, to review us, to comment,
2: ask any questions. It's a safe place. We are inviting you to do so. Right. Um, follow
0: up on the episode with, you know, any feedback you have, um, and are you open to suggestions? We are totally open. What do you all want to hear about? Um, you know, Franny and I have this long list of things, an, and my, an
2: ever-growing list of yeah, things.
0: <laughs> I think we've done like half of one topic, and this is episode three. <laughs> so we're very. I, I'm a very type A linear thinker, and I'm learning to let go. I am free spirited. I just say yeah, Nikki. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what we're gonna yeah. do. <laughs> Uh, we're also starting to design some merchandise. Yes. So we're really trying to get the word out there. We've we've connected with a lot of other podcasters as well who mm-hmm. are talking about this, including yourself now. Um so we'll be having some of them
2: on as guests as well. And we're looking forward to it. It's just going to be an exciting time. But yes, you're also welcome to share our podcast page with um your friends as well. Right. We so. are a different truth podcast on Facebook and a different truth which will have links to all the other
1: social media. Yes. yes,
2: and yeah. we can be heard on iTunes and anywhere Spotify. podcasts are heard yeah. at a different truth podcast.
1: Thanks for having me, guys. You're
0: welcome. We're going to save that line, and I think some of the rest of this
1: dribble we're going to cut. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Thank you for joining us for this episode of A Different Truth. Next time, we'll conclude our three-part series with Chris Noe, where we will focus on debunking some of the myths regarding slavery and its place in American history. We look forward to speaking with you next time. This podcast was recorded at Double Door Studios in Gainesville, Virginia, hosted by Franny Robin and Nikki Bland. Produced and engineered by Kenny Bland. Original music by Ryan Robin. Original artwork by Ellie Bland.